All right, First John chapter three, verse number two. We are walking together through our Christian fitness program, and uh, each week we will spend in First John chapter three, first four weeks, including last week, are uh, essential. We must know is that we shall be like Christ. That's our emphasis. When we are through with those four, we will study love brother. And that's in the middle of the section. And then when we get toward the end is live truth. Three things that we ought to do. If we break it down just to essentials of what a Christian ought to do and what we all need to work harder on, and that is be like Christ, love our brothers, and live the truth. This book is going to help us with that. So, it's time for our little exercise. You ready? Verse 2 today. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. This is our future. That's talked about here today. So, Let's ask for the Lord's help as we get started. Heavenly Father, we've come here this morning to worship you and to know more about what you would have us know. So this is a very important time for us. We open up your word and we study from it. And I pray that you might challenge our hearts and through it, draw us to yourself, conform our mind and our heart and our will to what you would have us be, Help us understand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is kind of a fun place to start, verse number two. It's really the, the, the essence of this first section, like Christ, is right here in verse number two, because it does say, uh, we will be like him, right? That's right there in the middle of the verse, so that's very important to us. But I like the way it starts. It starts with the word, Beloved. That's an address that's calling somebody something beloved. And, and uh, over the years, I've had the privilege of sitting under some very fine pastors and, and hearing uh, the way that they communicate. Now, you notice after a certain amount of time their, their particular traits. Uh, matter of fact, in, in college, we would sit around the dorm, and maybe it wasn't so uh, nice for us to do this, but uh, we had one of our uh, dorm mates who was very good at impersonating teachers. And how he could pick up on their traits was really fun. We just laughed and laughed and laughed all afternoon as he would, you know, go through all the particular traits that stuck out. And, and you notice that about pastors, and you probably know some of mine by now, and you might go home and impersonate me. I don't know. But uh, I remember uh, one of the teachers when I was in teenage, a teenage year, when he wanted to make a point, he always took his glasses off and waved them at us. And uh, that was to make the point, right? And I thought, well, maybe I should learn this trick. And uh, you see them on and off of me all day long. But see, uh, it's only because I can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and if you could even, you could probably even read my notes. The font is 16. Uh, it's the biggest I can go right now. Maybe I'll go to 20 pretty soon. But, uh, so I put them on and off. That's not to make points. That's just to see. All right. And then there was the others that, that were able, because of their 
age and their ability with a deep voice to say things in a very grandfatherly tone, dearly beloved. I, I'm not there yet, but the, they were able to do that. You know, they would constantly say that in the midst of their phrases and things, and, and uh, you get used to hearing that. Well, when I was first in the ministry, I was uh, uh, wondering, what do I do about this? I mean, you've got to talk to a congregation, and, and is there a term that you're supposed to give to them? And To tell the truth, I was only 24 years old when I started in the ministry, and my church was full of elderly people. We had one that was 100 years old in the congregation. Our youth group started at 60. <laughs> and here I am at 24, their pastor. And I said, what do you call them? You don't call them children. My children. You don't, you don't say things like that. I mean, I, if anyone was a child, that was me. I always thought maybe I should sit down and they could tell me a few things. But uh, that was a time when Kay said, you better grow a beard so you look a little older. <laughs> so there it's been the whole time. All right. But now it really makes me look older, doesn't it? Well, as we sit here this morning, uh, maybe John's word at the start is one you're so used to, you just pass right over it. Beloved, he's talking to you. Beloved, he's calling you by some in very precious name. Now, this, this name is not demeaning. It's not condescending. It's not patronizing. It's not a name like that at all. Uh, theologically, it's rich in what it is communicating to us today. Uh, I find it very encouraging to hear this term, beloved. It reminds me that I belong to my Heavenly Father. And we're going to look at two words as we just get started here this morning. Take that word, beloved, for one of them, and the word children we're going to look at too. But um, this is a proper term, beloved. It's a proper term to address somebody who is loved by God. Beloved ones, we need to hear that. See, John started in his first verse, as we saw last week, to say that the world does not know you, because it does not know him. And we live in a world like this. Matter of fact, in John 17, he goes further to say, this world does not love you. Matter of fact, it hates you, because it hated him. It does not love you. We live in a world where being a Christian is tolerated right now. But I'm of the opinion that that's not going to last forever. We, we know that uh, uh, the term Christian and the ability to stand in the public eye and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, that whole position is starting to erode a little bit in our culture. Uh, we see that. And I'm not a doomsday prophet. I, I'm not pessimistic either. On that regard. The reality is, this world is not my home. We've sung that song before, right? We're just passing through. See, we're citizens of heaven, aren't we? The world does not understand that. They do not appreciate that. That's the reality of it all. It's because they don't know him. And I find it actually something that encourages me a bit when they notice that I'm different. <laughs> and they could identify it that way. But see, we're told as well not to love this world, right? Don't love the world, the things of this world. Uh, we're told that. 
the fact is that God loves you. And that's so precious when you're living in a place where they don't. God loves you. And he's made that point strong throughout Scripture. But this is where he, he says it. When he calls you, he says, beloved. He uses that term. Beloved. I, I find that precious. Uh, see, that love is my foundation. It's your foundation. It, it's a, a permanent and wonderful love that comes from God. It never changes. He loves you just as much now as he always has, as he always will. That's the depth of his love and the consistency of his love. And the world may call us a lot of names, but God calls us beloved. And I like that, don't you? Just to hear that term as we start. That's precious to me. And that's a good thing to remind you of as we dive into verse number 2. Because we're going to look at two aspects of our relationship with him. And one is who we are and what we will be. All right? Those are the two things verse 2 tells us. Who we are and what we will be. Who we are, beloved, are children of God. That's what it says, right? Verse 2, you see it here. Beloved, when are we children of God? Now. You see the word now? There it is. Now we are children of God. This is our present existence. That's what the term is speaking of. I, I could read it in the Greek, but you could read it in the English the same way. It's not say, beloved, now we are becoming children of God, as if we're going through a process and eventually we'll make it. It says, now we are. You see, there's a difference, right? We are children of God. That, that's, that's our present identity. And that's significant because it eliminates a relationship built on performance. You know, a lot of people build relationships on performance, don't they? Oh, you do it right. You walk in these right steps. You, you keep me happy and I'll maintain a relationship with you. Our Heavenly Father is not like that, thank the Lord. He's not like that at all. Because we build relationships on what we think is performance. But let's not, uh, let's not set that on as a charge on the character of our God. He's not like that. Now we are children of God. And what an appropriate term to use. Children. Children. Matter of fact, it speaks so highly of this. Who works hard at being a child. Well, they may work hard at being an obedient child. They may work hard at being a, a, um, a pleasing child. Some you may even put all kinds of adjectives in front of child. But who works hard at being a child? You don't have to do anything to be a child. You're a child, right? That's just the reality of the world. You can't earn the state of child. You're a child. See, we see this word children. And I know some of your translations, especially if you carry the King James this morning, you'll see like the word, behold, we are now sons of God. And the reality is that the uh, King James does not differentiate between the word son, weos in the Greek, and child, technon in the Greek. And they can be changed out here and there at times. 
but they don't change that out. But this is the word tekton, and it's kind of interesting because it is properly the word for child. It gives stress to a fact brought about by birth. All right? Now, let me tell you the difference just so you get this idea. We can claim any child as a son. You see, Paul is the one that we understand led Timothy to the Lord, and he called him his son. That's my son in the faith. Uh, you might go out and adopt children. Some of you have. You adopt children, and you might call that child your son. And yet, that's a difference between a son and your child. If, if you understand the, the slight distinction here, the, the idea of child is, this is from birth. But the son, you can adopt, you can legal. Even scripture tells us that we have been adopted as sons into the family of God. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. You see, child goes further down into that, that core relationship. You're a child by birth. You see? This is the term that John is using here, by the way. He's talking about us being children by birth. But as many as received him, John wrote in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God. Now, that's kind of important for us because John gets right to the heart of our relationship with the Father. Right to the heart of it here. We are children of God. It's by a birth, you see? It's by a birth that that has become possible. Now, just so you understand that, this highly strengthens this phrase, our relationship with God is not a fragile thing. It's not a fragile thing. You see, some people believe I may have it today, but, you know, if I'm not careful, I might just lose that relationship. I know that because I grew up that way. I lived that way most of my, my teen years up until I was about 21 years of age. I thought my relationship with God rested entirely on me. What I did and how I behaved. And all those things, I, I really did. I, I, I wrestled with that. I was taught the idea that if I lived a lukewarm kind of life, God would spit me out of his mouth. Now, you probably heard that little phrase anyway. Revelation 3, verse 16 says it. But that's a misinterpretation of that text. And a misrepresentation of our God. That is not the way he is. He, he he does not have that relationship in his love for us that he's waiting for us to measure up to it. As if that's what maintains it. You see, God's love is unconditional. Understand that word? There is no condition it's riding on, but on him. It's an unconditional love. It's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's based on him. And his love for us was given even while we were yet sinners. So if he can start, here's my crazy little rationale. If he can start loving me when I'm way down here in sin, 
You can't get lower. And if he can love you there, can he love you where you are now? You see, it's not based on something we have done because he started where we didn't do anything. We were called his enemies. We were called those who who were without strength. We were sinners. And so he demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right? Now, that death of Christ, is that conditional? No. He died, didn't he? How much of that can you change? How much of that can I change? We can't, can we? So when we stand here and look at it, if we couldn't earn it, how could we possibly lose it? It's not based on us, is it? I like that. And that's why I'm stressing this exact point for you this morning. Even though I've lived contrary to this verse, now I see it. Behold, now we are children of God. That's speaking of your existence. And it will not change. It's based on the birth that he has made for us. In case you're wondering, what birth are you talking about, Pastor? Let's go back to John 3 and let's talk about this. Because uh, Nicodemus had the same question. He came to Jesus by night. Nicodemus was a, a teacher of the law. He was supposed to know all these things spiritually, right? So he came to Jesus by night. You know why night? He didn't want anyone to notice him. Teacher of the law talking to this man, asking this man questions. But that's what Nicodemus did. And let's walk through his story just for a minute here. Starts in John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow, that was stunning. Nicodemus was going to ask him other questions, I'm sure. The Lord went right to the heart of it, didn't he? He said, you have to be born of God in order to see the kingdom of, of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Well, the logical answer physically is, of course not. And every mother on earth would say, of course not. Right? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not be amazed when I say to you, you must, hear that? You must be born again. You must be born again. Conversation goes on, but it's very appropriate that Jesus would address this with Nicodemus. He addresses that with all of us, by the way. It's the same thing. We must be born again. You might struggle with that and try to say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Unless you believe in Jesus Christ, as he's going to say before this chapter is out, the Son of Man will be like what Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that all who look to him will believe and be saved. We must believe in Jesus Christ. That's what being born again is all about. 
We believe in Him. We, we believe He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He gives to us eternal life in His name. And unless you believe that, you cannot be a child of God. That's what we understand. Jesus would later say in John 14 that He is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through Him. No one. So we must have faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we are born again. That's the understanding of the term. Born again. That's the starting place of this relationship we have with God. Being born again. Our faith in Jesus Christ. So it's my hope that that's where you are at this morning. I hope that's exactly the identity. That that you are one who can set next to your name, child of God. Because I've been born again. Child of God. Do you know that? Is that the relationship you have with him right now? Now, I'm speaking to you, as John does in his epistle, as if you are. Alright? I'm speaking. But you know whether or not you are. You know the relationship you have with God. And John will write to you, as I speak to you, that you are children of God. So ask yourself, am I a child of God? Do I have that relationship? Have we started right there at that new birth that I am now his child? That's a question I leave for you. I want you to ask that in your own heart. And if not, folks, just believe in him. That's what it calls us to do. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. The offer is given to us and and it's such a beautiful thing. But being called a beloved one, being called a child of God, that signifies you have a relationship with him, okay? That's where John starts. That's your relationship. What are you now? Beloved, now we are children of God. What a beautiful expression that is. I hope you all can say that, that that's exactly where we are. Very appropriate term for you then, right? Very appropriate term. Such a a wonderful term. Now, I I like the term child here as well for another reason. And I'll add this to to the thoughts. Sons are always sons. What do children become? Adults. Right? Isn't that the picture of the Christian life? What are we told to do? Grow up. Right? What better term to use? Now we are children of God. That means we are expected to grow up in these things. That's why he puts it right in this passage. We're to grow up to be like him. True? Use the word children. It fits perfectly in the context of what he's calling us to do. After all, what do you expect a child to become? You don't think your children are going to be elephants, do you? No, because their parents aren't elephants. They're going to take on the characteristic of their parents as they grow. Right? That's the idea. This is a whole picture from, from what we're studying here. We are now beloved children of God with great expectations. We're growing up to be like Him. We're growing up to be like Him. So, with that being true, the fact is that we are not what we ought to be now. Isn't that what John just says here in this passage? Let's look at it again. 
First John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Not yet. Not yet. Cannot quite see it, can we? What we're going to be. Not quite yet. Huh. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. We see through a glass darkly. You remember that phrase? But we see through a, a mirror dimly, your translation might say. That's not much to look through. The actual little picture of it is it's a fragment of a mirror that you're trying to guide your life by. Uh, I've said this before, but if you want to practice it, you go home to your bathroom mirror, break off the corner. <laughs> you're probably not going to do that, are you? But this is just a picture. You break off the corner of it and live the rest of the day according to what you see in that corner of a mirror piece. Walk around your house that way, only looking in that corner piece of the mirror. Would you find that a little challenging? Would your children think you look strange? Probably. But you'd have to walk this way in order for it to work. That's, that's not easy, is it? But that's the picture of life, in case you're wondering. That's how we live. That's why we're told to live by faith, right? And walk by faith. We have to trust somebody else to tell us, don't go there, that's, that, that will hurt you. Oh, step here, that's a safe place. Guide us, guide us, guide us. That's what the Lord promises to do. Because we only have a fragment of the picture. Kind of like the olden days, you've probably seen this, maybe if nothing else, in the, the movies where children would come to the ballpark to watch the game. But they didn't have money for the ticket, so they watched the knot hole. Remember? They're watching a game through a knot hole. How much do you see? Imagine the difference when somebody invites them in and they see the whole park. We see through a glass darkly. But then, this is what the promise is, then when we get there, we shall see face to face. Ah, that's going to be stunning, folks. When he takes our little mirror out of our hand and turns us around and says, now look, this is the prospect we have before us. But this is where we live right now. We're, we're just seeing through the knot hole. Someday face to face. We talk about what we shall be. But we're not right now. We don't know all of it. We don't see all of it. That's what John says. Not yet. No, I like word not yet. You know what not yet says? It doesn't say never, does it? Not yet is, it, it may be hard for people without patience, but not yet means that something is coming. And that's the reality. What we are right now, who we are right now, are children. Walking with a, a small perspective. But we have a future, folks. And that's what John is showing us in this passage. We have a future. This is what we will be, he says. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him just as he is. Oh, what a rich test. I love this. We shall see him. Now we are children. But we know, because we're children, we know what he is going to make of us. We know that just by the term being beloved by him just by the term that we are his children. We expect to be changed, don't we? We expect this work that he's going to do for us. 
But we know it. That's what he's saying. We know it. We live by this knowledge. There's no doubt in it. There's no doubt in the phrase. It's not based on experience. It's based on fact. We are his children, so we shall resemble him. We know that. We're convinced of it. Are you? Are you convinced of it? That's what the word suggests. We're convinced. We know. We know we will be like him. A sure thing, folks. Not a maybe. Do you see a maybe on your page? Do you see a could be or should be or might be? Anywhere in there? Close enough? Is that on your verse? We shall be close enough? <laughs> no. Uh, we are becoming... Actually, it doesn't even say that. It says, we will be like him. Hear those words? We will be like him. That's as strong as what you are now. Same word. What you are now, what you will be. Those are points of existence. And there's a couple of things I, I want to point out just as I step onto this platform to talk to you. There are two things I consider absolute. Absolute. We live in a land where people say there are no absolutes. I disagree with that. <laughs> we have absolutes all over God's word. But here's an absolute. Two of them that, that I hang on to dearly. First one's in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Go to verse number 39 for a minute. All of this has to do exactly with, with the point that we will be like him. This is what Jesus says in John 6:39 and verse 40. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him, is that you? will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. You see that? That's an absolute. What that says, Jesus says, I lose none. I lose none. If you are a gift from the Father to the Son, he will never lose you. He will never lose you. Get that. He will never lose you. He's not going to stand around up in heaven someday and say, I wonder where that one went. Never hear that words in, those words in heaven. Never hear those words in heaven. He says, I will lose none, right? None. Everyone who believes in me, I lose none. Get that? That's an absolute. So that guarantees that you're a child of God, you will be there. Understand? That's important. Because that goes with our next thing that's absolutely absolute. First, or Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. Absolutely absolute. That's pretty strong. These are the same individuals he's talking about. Paul writes this. Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing. See the word confident. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it, will finish it. However your word says it, it's pretty strong, isn't it? If he started, 
he will finish. If he gave you to his son, his son will not lose you. I love these words. You see, that gives me this confidence that we're looking at here this morning. When it says, we will be like him, why should I doubt that? (laughs) Because it's based on these absolutes. Our Savior will not fail. He will not fail. This work that he's doing in our life, he will not fail. So I read in Jude, these wonderful verses that have always been my favorites. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority from all time and now and forever. Who keeps you from stumbling? You? No, he does. Very good, Hannah. He keeps us from stumbling. Who's going to make you stand in his presence? Who's going to stand you up there in his presence? And you're going to love it. With joy, he said, right? Who's going to make you stand there? He is. That's why he gets the praise, you see? That's why I love those verses. All of a sudden it says, wow, Lord, you're really doing this. This is the same thing in Ephesians 5 when he's describing his love for the church. He says eventually in verse number 27 that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and blameless. He will present us in this perfect state. (laughs) I love it, don't you? As I'm going through this, I get more and more excited as I think about this. Because this is exactly what the Lord has promised. Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That's what we will be. It's an absolute, folks. It's not a maybe. It's an absolute text. As we walk through this, this is what he says. This is what... You will be. Now, I I keep stressing something here. What you will be. Who you are is who you are right now. Who you are is a child of God. That will never change. You will always be a child of God. When you enter into heaven, guess what you still are? You're still a child of God. He doesn't change that relationship. I told you it's based on an unconditional love. That who you are is going to remain that you are who you are. But what you are, you will be like Christ, he says. That's the work he's doing. You will not be Christ. You will be like him. That's what it says. We will be like him. That means similar in appearance. Beard? No, you know better than that. Similar in character. Similar in character. He transforms, as Philippians says, he transforms the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory through the exertion of the power that he has. You know that word, exertion of his power? That's the same power he used to create the universe. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's the same power we read of in Romans 1, that he brought Jesus Christ from the dead. Is that power? That's the same power he's aiming at you and me. 
to conform us to the image of his son. Now, is he able? Oh, yes. That's what it says. He does it by that power that he has. Now, I could confess this morning there's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the nature of that perfection. I've never known that. I don't know what that's going to be like. It's going to stun me. I know that. Step into heaven and say, whoa, who is this person? That's going to be a surprise. I, I'm expecting it, but it's going to be in, it stay incomprehensible until I get there. I don't fully understand God, do you? Just try to, to understand Him. It's just beyond us. I can't fully understand heaven, though I, I'm studying it like crazy to understand it. There's still so much I don't know about heaven. I don't understand what we're going to be, but I know we're going to be it. That's what the text says. I know, we know, we shall be like him. Now, if you're thinking such a glorious thing this is, this is, this is a beautiful little story I heard out of one commentary. It mentioned it this way. There were some uh, heathen converts, and this is the terms they use, heathen com- converts to Christianity. And they were taking a, a uh, discipleship program. They called it a catechism. They were taking that and translating that into their language that they could learn it. And as they were learning these things, they came up to 1 John 3.2. That those words were seen here to beloved, now we are children of God. We don't know what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. And all of a sudden they stopped when they saw those words and they said, no, that's too much. At least let us just write that we're going to bow down and kiss his feet. The Lord does so much more, doesn't he? All we really deserve is to bow down and kiss his feet. But he said, no. I'll make you like me. Is that too much? I told you he loves you. I told you he loves you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be a little robot in heaven. Doesn't mean you're going to be like a little duplicate, run off on a copy machine or something like that. You wouldn't want to be run off on ours right now. It's not working all the time. We're going to have our own personalities, who you are, is who you are. We're going to have our, our own individuality. We're going to be our own selves. He never eliminates who you are. Who you are is his child. But he's going to bring you up to the stature of his son. That's what you will be. You will be like his son. And you know what that means, Steve? That means my job would never be done. In case you're wondering, you're saying 30 years? Well, this is what it says. In, in Ephesians 4, it says that the role of the pastor, as well as the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and the evangelists, uh, they're to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to him. So my job isn't done until you all look like him. See? That's our job. That's what we do. We are to know that this is what he's doing. Be a part of the process. Be a part of the process in this. 
if he, if you know his plans for you, you know the future, and you're, you're absolutely concretely convinced that this is true, it's in God's word, then be a part of that process. What do I mean by that? I'm reminding you of what scripture says he's making you, right? Live that way. You need the reminder almost every day. Maybe every other day. How often do you need the reminder of how much he loves you and what he's making you to be? How often do you need reminded of this? I, I personally need a daily dose of it. I need that reminder that this is what he's doing in my life and this is what he's making me to be. We are destined to be like him. That's Christian fitness. There's your exercise. I recommend this as your essential every single day. Get to know the one you're going to be like. Get to know him. Okay? That's, our, that's what we do down here. We get to know him. Spend time in his word. Read about him. Talk to him. But remind yourself daily, I am loved. And the more you read it, the more you're convinced of that. I am loved by him. I'm his child. I will be like him. Grow in that. Okay? Grow in that. Spend your time reflecting on that, thinking that through. That's a daily dose, my prescription for you today. Daily dose. Remind yourselves of this verse. Maybe you need to write it down. Put it on a little card. Stick it where you will see it. Tomorrow morning, bathroom mirror. There it is. Refrigerator. Coffee pot. What's the first thing you go to in the morning? Stick it right there. Three by five card. How long is that going to take you? But the reminder is good. We need it, don't we? We need it. Heavenly Father, you know everybody in this room, and I trust that every single one here today would call you their father because they are your children. I hope that's true. I am so excited, Lord, of the simple principle that you love us, that you've called us your beloved children. What a joy it is to know that. Thank you for telling us. Thank you for the work that you've done in our lives to bring us to that place where we are born again as children of God. We rejoice in that, Lord. You've, you've made that difference that is eternal. We praise you for it. And Lord, thank you as well for a reminder of what you're making us to be. We need that too. We do get occupied in our world and, and the events of our world, and sometimes it's like we're just trying to survive. But Lord, lift our eyes up above this world. Help us see you. Help us to see the destiny you have for us, what you have already marked out as what will happen in our lives. We will be like Christ. And Lord, I pray that you make the day come quickly. But today... Should we go through the rest of this day before you call us home? Should we go through the rest of this week? Help us to set this as our daily essential to remember what you're at work doing in our lives, that we might be part of the process, Lord, that we might be mindful of what you're doing, that we'll cooperate with your word and the Spirit's work in our life, and that we, starting today, will resemble Christ more than we did yesterday. I pray this for all of us today, Lord. Do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.